Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, all right, guys, it's Baptism Sunday. Baptism Sunday. Hey, today is absolutely one of my favorite Sundays that we get to spend together as a church because it's so amazing and it's so great to be able to see that there is life happening in the church. And I know that many of you, you've come here today and you've signed up and you've been looking forward to, you've been waiting, you've been anticipating, and you're ready to take your next steps in following Jesus, waiting for you right outside those doors. And we can't wait to celebrate. Others of you, your friends and your family members and coworkers and neighbors of people who have made made this decision to go public with their faith. And so we want to welcome you. We, we want to watch and experience and witness this life change happen alongside of you. But I also know that there are some people in this room, as you've come here today, you are not yet followers of Jesus, that you came here because somebody invited you, but you're not really sure what you think about Jesus. My hope, my prayer, my goal for you today is that you would repent of your sins, you would turn, you would put your hope, trust, and faith in Jesus, and that you would follow him. And for you, your best next steps are waiting for you right outside of those doors because Jesus gives us baptism to be the church. And baptism for me is is really a, a very special day. It's some of my favorite days that we celebrate as a church. And the reason why I love baptisms is because all the stories that come out on our big baptism Sundays. Let me share with you a couple of my favorite stories about baptism. Um, There's a girl in her church, her her name's Keely. Um, Keely was actually one of the very first people who ever got saved in our church. Uh, Two years ago, before our doors ever opened for the first time, we were holding what we call preview gatherings, where we would set up and we would tear down and we would make sure that everything kind of worked the way that it was supposed to work and that we could actually do this thing called church. And um, Keely was invited by another gal and she came and, and she had a camera. And she had just gotten this camera for Christmas, and I see her kind of walking around. It's like, hey, um, I'll give you $20 if you want to take some pictures for us. And she agreed to do that. I said, well, if you come back next week, I'll give you another $20. And then she kept coming back. Maybe that's good church growth. Just pay people to come to church. And so, um, so, so, I, so she kind of joined the serve team. And I'm not really sure when it happened, but somewhere between that first Sunday and then our launch Sunday, Keely became a Christian. And for, for her, she was the first person to get saved, and then she joined in a community group, and she started serving. And then a couple of months later, she was actually one of the very first people who ever got baptized in our church. And, and so Jesus has completely changed this girl's life. And you probably met Keely. You know, she's walking around with a video camera, and she's a, a welcome team, and she probably shook your hand when you walked in because Keely still loves Jesus. Keely still loves the church because Jesus has changed her life. I love the stories. One of my, one of my favorite stories is also uh, about a young man who had just gotten out of jail. And, and he was serving you know, in jail, and he was awaiting his trial for possession and, and addiction and, and you know, drug, you know, uh, selling drugs. And so he had just gotten out of jail, and he was staying at a halfway house. And, and one of the guys in our church who goes to the halfway house, he invited him on Sunday. And he didn't really want to go, and he wasn't really thinking about it. But he said, you know what, sure, I guess that's okay. I'll, I'll go to church. And, and so he, he comes to church, and that Sunday he hears the message, and he hears about Jesus, and he, he gives his life to Jesus, and he's very excited, and he wants to take those steps in baptism. But he said, you know what, I, I can't be baptized. So I was like, well, why not? He's like, well, I, I didn't bring anything. 
right? I, I didn't come prepared. I don't have a shirt. I don't have any socks. I don't have any, you know, shorts. I don't have a towel. It's like, don't worry about it. We know that you didn't plan on being baptized, but the Holy Spirit planned on it. And so he told us ahead of time. So we brought shirts and shorts and towels. You have no excuse. We have everything covered just for you. So we want you to take those steps. And then he said, well, there's one more thing. I was like, okay, well, what's that? He's, and he points down at his ankle and he has an ankle monitor on and so I guess whenever he, he got out of jail, the courts thought he was a flight risk and they didn't want him to run, but they didn't anticipate on him running to Jesus. And so, so, so he's like, well, I have this ankle monitor on, so if I get wet, then it's going to violate my parole and then I'm going to have to go back to jail. And so, so me and a couple of guys, we, we kind of came up with this um, innovative plan. And, and so we decided, okay, here's what we're going to do. As you get in the water, okay, we're going to hold one leg outside of the tank and then we're going to go under, right? And we're going to put you under. And so we, we did it. And so as we baptized him, he goes under and he has one leg sticking straight up in the air. It was absolutely incredible to see because Jesus changed that young man's life. But one of my favorite stories is about a dad in our church. I've seen God just completely just transform this man's life. I mean, he comes from the past of, of raising the church and, and then ups and downs and drug addictions and, and just has an amazing testimony and story of what Jesus has done. And as he comes into our church, I see all the transformation that God's doing, not only in his life, but also in the life of his family. And so one Sunday while we're baptizing, he's standing off to the side and then he sees his teenage daughter come forward to be baptized. And as we're standing there in the tank, I'm looking over and I see the smile and the joy on his face as he gets to watch his teenage little girl get baptized. In that moment, I think, no, this man needs to baptize his daughter. And so I asked him, I said, would you like to baptize your daughter? Kid you not, he jumped in fully clothed. He did not even bat an eye. I mean, I mean, he had pants on, shirt on, shoes on, his wallet and everything. And that dad got the privilege to be able to baptize his little girl. And then a couple of months later, he got to see his 20-year-old son be baptized. And it's just amazing to see that Jesus has completely transformed this man's life, completely transformed his family. And the big idea is that Jesus doesn't only save lives, Jesus changes legacies that Jesus changes everything. And I love the stories that come out whenever we have these big baptism celebrations. And here's the deal. I believe that you have a story. I believe that God has given you a story. And I believe that when you step into those waters, you are publicly declaring your story before God, before the church, and for the entire world that Jesus has changed your life. And so we believe that stories need to be told and stories get told through our public declaration of faith through baptism. And Jesus gives us baptism so that way we can be the church. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 6, verse 1. This is the big Bible baptism verse, and I'm, I love this. Now, I just got to be honest before we get into this. Um, this is probably one of the densest, most theological sections in all the scripture, and so I don't have time to hit every single thing, but in your community group with some of your friends and family, you can dialogue and you can discuss throughout the week on everything that Paul's trying to communicate here. But Romans chapter 6, verse 1 is the big baptism Bible verse. And so I want to read it all and we'll kind of walk through it. And then I'm just going to pull out a couple of big questions that we can answer about baptism. So here's what he starts off by saying, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, there's our word, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So the first thing we see is that baptism is about Jesus' death. Let me tell you about Jesus. Hey, Jesus is God. 
right? Jesus is the second member of the Trinity, existing in eternity past, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, with perfect unity and harmony and relationship within themselves, that Jesus is God. And then God sends Jesus from heaven to earth on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost. That's people like you and me, people who through sin, we've been separated from God through our foolishness and our folly and our rebellion. We have lived lives independent of God, bound and wrapped up into our sins. But Jesus, he leaves heaven, he enters into human history, and Jesus lives the perfect life, the life for our sins, that Jesus dies the painful death. The death that Jesus died was because of our sins. And so Jesus lived and Jesus died. So first thing we know is this, that baptism is about Jesus's death. He continues, we were therefore buried. So that's the second thing. It's a, it's a burial. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into this death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we too shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So after they took Jesus, his death, what did they do? They buried him. They took his lifeless body off of the cross, they put it into a grave, and then they rolled the stone over the grave, and for three days Jesus lied there, and Jesus was dead, and Jesus was buried. Paul continues, For one who has died, that is the Christian, that's you and that's me, and anyone who puts their hope and trust in Jesus, has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So also, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In the past two years since we've opened the doors of our church, we've had the great honor and privilege to baptize 49 people. 49 people have stepped into those waters and made this declaration of faith. And that's absolutely amazing and wonderful and incredible because if you notice, that's almost half of our church since we've opened have made a decision to follow after Jesus. And so since so many people are new, so many people are, are, are just coming back into the church, just coming back into faith. Some of you, this is the first time. Some of you, this is the first time in a long time. And you're coming into the church and you're looking and seeing and you're trying to kind of ask yourselves like, why are we doing this? Why is this necessary? Why is this important? Why do we make such a big deal about what it means to be the church? And so that's actually one of the, the big thrusts behind this sermon series, to be the church. We're looking at what it is that makes the church the church. When people come and they see redemption, they look on the outside in and they think, oh, well, there's things that are different about this church. They, they see, you know, social media, they see all the people, you know, greeting and welcoming. They see, you know, the loud band, we meet in the bar, the pastor, you know, has tattoos. And they think, oh, okay, all of those things, that's what makes Redemption Church different. But those aren't the things that actually make us different. In fact, nothing makes us different as a church. That as a church, we don't do anything different. There's nothing special. There's nothing unique about what we believe and what we do. We stand in line with 2,000 years of church history. That we're your basic Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, Orthodox, Spirit-filled Christian church. So what we do is the same thing all churches have done. That we worship, we preach, we take communion, 
and we baptize other people. And that's what all churches have done, and that's what we are going to continue to do together as a church. And when it comes to this issue of baptism, a lot of people, they, they have questions. So here's what I want to do. I want to just answer five big questions about baptism from Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Here's, here's the, um, the first question is this. Okay, what is baptism? Here's how he says it. Paul just showed us what it means. He says it's the death, it's the burial, and it's the resurrection of Jesus. That's what baptism signifies. It's about the death, it's about the burial, and it's about the resurrection of Jesus. Baptism is what we call a sacrament. Okay, there's two sacraments, communion and baptism. Right? In communion, we remember the Lord's you know, death, his broken body, his shed blood. And then in baptism, we remember our Lord's resurrection. And, and so sacraments are actually ways in which we show the gospel to the rest of the world. This series has been broken up into two parts where we talk about worship and preaching. That's where we communicate the gospel. However, in communion and baptism, that's where we demonstrate the gospel. And so he says it's about the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Here's how he writes it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into Jesus's death? And so it starts, it starts with Jesus's death, that Jesus, he lived the perfect life, that Jesus died the painful death in our sins, that Jesus, he, he was without sin. As he goes to that cross, he takes our place for our sins, that Jesus was arrested, Jesus was tried, Jesus was crucified, and Jesus died. And then they took his body from the cross and they laid it in the grave. And just as Jesus died for our sins, his burial was so that our sins can be forgiven that our sins would be forgotten, our sins would be hidden, our sins would be covered by God. And so Jesus' death is our death, and then Jesus' burial is our burial. But Jesus didn't stay, Jesus didn't stay in that grave. That Jesus did something different. Jesus did something unbelievable. Jesus did something unexpectable. That Jesus not only died, but Jesus also rose. See, people die, people die all the time, right? Famous figures, religious leaders, celebrities, icons. There's nothing unusual about a famous person dying, but Jesus did something different. Jesus did something unimaginable. Jesus rose from the grave, and by the glory of God the Father, he resurrected Jesus from the grave, and so Jesus's life can be your life because you too have been resurrected into this newness of life. And so baptism says that Jesus' death is my death, that Jesus' burial is my burial, and that Jesus' resurrection will be my resurrection. And so it's your way of making a public declaration of an outward expression of this inward change that you believe you belong and you want to live the rest of your life being like Jesus. It's a public display of the gospel in your life. This is one of the reasons that we, we love to baptize publicly together as a church, that we make a big deal out of it because it really is a big deal, and it's a big deal to the Lord. And so we like to have big parties outside. We do it in the center of the city, in the heart of downtown, in the middle of the street, in Crockett Street, and we take pictures and videos, and we want to share it, and we want to share your story. And so we make a really big deal out of baptism because it's your way of going public with your faith. It's your way of letting all of the world know that you have decided to follow Jesus. And on this day, everything changes. And so we would love to be able to tell your story because that's what baptism is. It's the death, it's the burial, and it's the resurrection of Jesus. So what is baptism? That's what it shows. Well, the second question is this. How do we baptize? Here's what he says. We were therefore buried with him by baptism. Okay, there's this big debate 
in the church, and it's centered around these two terms. Okay, um, the first term is called paedobaptism. Okay, that means infant baptism or like a small child. Well, the other term is called credobaptism, which means I believe or it's a believer's baptism. Now, here at Redemption, our conviction is credobaptism, that we believe in a, a believer's baptism. Now, to be fair, there are good, Jesus-loving, you know, Christ-centered, Bible-preaching churches that hold to paedobaptism. We love them. They're wrong. Um, <laughs> And when we get to heaven, we'll accept their apology. But for now, but for now, we love them, but they're, but they're wrong. We hold to what's called this believer's baptism by immersion. It's a credo baptism. And there's two words that we really need to point out as being very important. The first is buried, and the, the second is baptism. Okay, the, the Bible, Paul was writing in a language called Greek, right? And, and that word baptism is literally the word baptizo, which means to submerge or to sink. So if there's a ship out in the harbor and it sinks, they say, oh, that ship got baptized. And so it's full submersion. It's total immersion, right? It is under the water, right? That's, that's the word baptism. And then the second word is this word burial, okay? Now, whenever we bury somebody, how far down do we bury them? Six feet or as far down as it takes, right? right? We don't just sprinkle some dirt and then we just move on. No, that's not what we do. Okay, we bury them and we baptize them. Okay, this is one of the reasons that at Redemption, we don't baptize infants and we don't, we don't baptize babies. Okay, first is it's unbiblical. The second reason, it's just child abuse. Right? It's just, it's just not, it's, that's just not the way things should work. Could you imagine if a, if a, beautiful, you know, if a beautiful little girl and the, the mom came up and the grandparents are standing on the side and they're, they're waiting to take pictures and they hand me their little girl and their dress and the big bonnet on the head and the bow and the pacifier. And I say, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost and just dunk this baby, everybody like, oh my God, did he really just do that, right? Yeah, that's not, that's not a sacrament, that's a child sacrifice. There's, there's totally a different. Um, and so that's one of the reasons that we don't baptize. We don't baptize infants in our church. And the second is that it's, it's unbiblical. You're not going to be able to trace infant baptism to baptism anywhere else in the scriptures because baptism always follows repentance. Baptism always follows a profession of faith. And so because children, we love them and they're cute, right? but they can't repent of their sin. They can't make this profession of faith. Well, ba babies and, and small children, they don't need to make that declaration through baptism. Okay, we'll have child dedications a couple of times of the year. And so we would love to dedicate children so we could come around them as a church and we could pray for them and we could commit to continue to disciple them. But, but, but babies and infants, right, we don't baptize them because we believe in a believer's baptism by, by immersion. So, so how do we baptize? Okay, we, we submerge. We, we totally immerse. Okay, we, we go under the water. How many of you, you were baptized as infants? You were baptized as a baby, right? Okay, okay. Now, I love you. Go ahead and put your hand down because you weren't baptized. <laughs> That's not baptism, right? You got sprinkled by, you know, a priest with very well-intending parents, but that's actually not what baptism is. Here we see that it's a, it's a burial, okay, that you go under the water, totally immersed, fully submerged. So how do we baptize? Full immersion, believer's baptism. Okay, the third question is this. Why do we baptize? He says that we too might walk in newness of life. Now, I want you to know something. Okay, baptism does not save. 
Some people, they get very superstitious about baptism. They think, oh, well, I have to be baptized, and if I'm, if I'm baptized, then God will love me, and then God will accept me, and then I'm going to go to heaven because I was, I was baptized. And so if I get some pastor or some priest or some holy man to, to baptize me, well, then, then I'm going to be accepted by God. Okay, I want you to know that's not true. Baptism does not save. Jesus saves. Baptism is a sign pointing to your newness of life. That's what baptism is. It's a sign. It's a symbol pointing to a greater reality, something that Jesus has done in your life. A good example of that is to think about baptism like a wedding ring. Let me see if I can get mine off. Okay, think about it like a wedding ring. Okay, the day that me and Ashley got married, everything changed. But before we ever really exchanged rings, I already planned to spend the rest of my life with her. I'd already devoted myself to, to love her and to serve her, and to lay my life down for her, that I would be her husband and that she would be my, my wife. And on the day that we got married, well, we entered into this covenant with one another and that brought out the, the newness of life. And as we did get married, we did what? Well, we exchanged rings. Now, the ring itself is not my marriage. The ring points to something greater. The ring points to my commitment, my covenant that I made with my wife. And in the same way, that's what baptism is. That baptism is a sign pointing to the relationship and the newness of life that you had. So it's not saving faith, but it does point towards a faith that saves. And so when you're being baptized, I want you to think, okay, I have this newness of life. Not because of my baptism, but because of Jesus. That Jesus loved me, that Jesus saved me, that Jesus is changing me, and, and Jesus gives me this newness of life, that I have a new heart, that I have a new mind, I have a new nature, I have a new identity, I have a new community, I have a new destiny, and all that's because I have this newness of life that is given to me by Jesus, and I get to celebrate that through my baptism, and it's about this this newness of life. And so for those of you who are going to be watching people get baptized, I want you to think about what's happening in our church. I want you to step back and I want you to think about this newness of life that is happening right before your very eyes. And I want you to think, whenever, we, whenever you um, give, this is what it produces. That whenever you see somebody step in that water, I want you to think, okay, because I serve, I'm seeing this newness of life. I want you to think, okay, because I, because I give, because, I, because I'm in a community group, because I show up at 7.30 and I set up and I hang around after the gathering and I tear down or I'm on the band or I pour coffee, whatever you do in the church, if you're a member, if you come, if you give, if you serve, if you love, when someone steps in that water, I want you to think that's happening because, because I have part in that. That, that person standing in the water because, because you played a part in that. Yes, it's all because of Jesus, but it wouldn't be possible without you that we can see this newness of life is happening within our church, that people are getting saved, that people's lives are being changed, that we are making disciples and we are making a difference and we get to watch, we get to witness, we get to see this newness of life. It's amazing. So why do we baptize? For the newness of life. He goes on, number four, he says, who do we baptize, okay? This is where I'm gonna move from preaching to meddling, okay? So you're welcome. Um, so, so he says, who do we baptize? Well, the answer to that is this. Christians. Okay, if you are a Christian, if you put your hope and trust and faith in Jesus, that if you believe that he lived for you, he, he died for you, he rose for you, okay, you are a Christian, well, then you need to be baptized. 
Okay, look, look at the language Paul uses as he's writing this. He says, what shall we say? Shall we continue? All of us, right? We were, we too might, we have been, we believe, we will, we know, and you must. So who do we baptize? We baptize Christians. Let me say this as lovingly, as clearly, and as carefully as I can. If you are a Christian and you have not been baptized, something is wrong. If you are a Christian, you put your hope and trust and faith in Jesus, and you haven't been baptized, okay, something, something is wrong. Because we see that baptism is actually a command that the Lord gives to become a Christian. Not to become a Christian, sorry, as a Christian. It is a command that the Lord gives. See, the first thing that, the Bible knows nothing of a Christian that is not baptized. Okay, the first thing that the Lord Jesus did before he ever laid hands on anybody, before he ever prayed, before he ever preached, before he ever performed a single miracle, the very first thing that the Lord Jesus did is that he was baptized. The very last thing that Jesus did is he commanded his followers to make disciples and baptize them. It was the first thing, it was the last thing. And then as Peter stood up on Pentecost to preach, he said to repent and to be baptized. And whenever Philip's um, sharing his faith with the Ethiopian eunuch who opens it up to the book of Isaiah. He says, what should I do? He said, Let's, you need to be baptized. Whenever Peter's preaching to Cornelius' house, he baptized all of them in a single day. Whenever the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles in the book of Acts, Peter baptized all of them in the same day. The Bible knows nothing of a Christian that has not been baptized. So if you're a Christian and you say, I love Jesus and I'm not going to be baptized, listen to me, there's something very wrong. The only reason a Christian would not be baptized, well, there's three. First is that they're just unable. So you think, well, I'm unable to be baptized. I never had the opportunity. I never had the chance. Okay, well, for you, we're going to give you that opportunity today. Okay, so you can't use that, right? So unable. The second is unknowing. You're like, I didn't know. I didn't understand what baptism was. I didn't know that it was necessary. I didn't know that it was important. I, know, I didn't know that it was essential for the church. And so now you know. So unable, unknowing, and the third is just unwilling. That you're just unwilling to follow the Lord. You're just unwilling to be obedient to the Lord. You say, yeah, I know that it's important to Jesus, but it's not important to me. Say, I know that it's a command that Jesus gives, but I'm not going to listen to that. And you disregard John 14, where it says, if you love me, then you will keep my commands. If you do not obey the command of baptism, there's something wrong with your love for Jesus. Because baptism is the first step in discipleship of following after him. Some of you would be like, whoa, 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 hold on. You're going to balk at this and you're going to think, well, what about the thief on the cross? Right, the thief on the cross, he wasn't baptized. Yeah, but that's his story. Now, if you want to get up on a cross, we could make that happen next week's Easter and that could be your story. <laughs> but that's the exception. That's not the expectation. You're not the thief on the cross. And others of you are going to push back and you're going to say, yeah, but Byron, didn't you just say that baptism doesn't save? So if I'm not saved by baptism, then it's really not that necessary, and I can just kind of keep on doing whatever it is that I want to do. Okay, let me, let me push back on you just a little bit. Okay, why, let me ask you this question. Why would you only want to do the bare minimum to live for Jesus? Why would you only want to do as little as it takes when God has so much more available for you? See, all Christians are to be baptized, 
that when you put your hope and trust and you follow after him, the first step of following Jesus is in those waters. The first step of following Jesus is the step into baptism. All Christians, when you stand in that water, you are standing in a lineage and a legacy over the last 2,000 years of men and women from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all across the world who have stood in those waters and they say, I am following Jesus, that I'm going to stand in these waters. I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to make a public declaration of my faith. In many countries, just by stepping in those waters, you could be killed and people do it all the time. And when you stand for faith, when you stand for Jesus, you're saying, I belong to him and I'm going to be the church that he has called me to be. So who do we baptize? The answer is Christians. Well, the fifth question is this. What comes after baptism? Okay, so you had your day. That baptism Sunday has come and it's gone. That everybody's gone out to lunch after church. The deacons have drained that baptism tank. The trailer's been put up and you go home and then all of a sudden, right, the boss starts calling, the kids start crying, Right? You have to get up at 6 a.m. and you have to go back to work or maybe you're staying up trying to pass a chem final and writing some papers and then Tuesday comes along and then what happens? What comes after your baptism? Here's what Paul says. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. The death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died for sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Okay, so what comes next? Right, what comes after your baptism? It's this little word that we like to call life. Have you ever heard it? Right. Do you have one? Okay. It's this little thing that we like to call life. Life is what comes next. See, see the first step, that's baptism. Okay. The second step, we call that life. Okay. You need to keep following after Jesus. Paul, Paul says here, he says, the life that Jesus lived, he lived for God. And so when life happens with your life, you need to keep following after Jesus. You need to keep living your life for God, that you read your Bible, that you pray, that you study, that you get in a community group, that you surround yourself with other people, that you find a place in the serve team, that you give and you love and you serve and you live your life for God, not just on Sundays, but every day, that you kiss your wife, you raise your kids, you go to work, right? You pay your taxes, you go to college, you walk your dog, all of those things. That's your life lived to God. You need to keep following after Jesus because here's, here's what's going to happen. Okay. The waters, they'll, they'll, they'll dry. Okay? And then reality sets in and that's when life kicks in. The high wears off and that's when life, that's when life kicks in. See, it's really easy to follow Jesus in the water, but what do you do when the waves of life come crashing down? See, it's really, it's really easy for you to follow Jesus when everybody's cheering and there's a big crowd and there's a big celebration, but what do you do when there is suffering? You keep following after Jesus because the life you live is a life lived for God. Let me encourage some of you. Some of you, it's been a very long time since you stood in those waters, that you've been following Jesus for six months, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. It's been a very long time since you stood in those waters. I want you to think back. I want you to remember. I want you to reflect on that. That at one time, you stood in a baptism, 
and you were baptized and you made a public declaration of your faith. How's that working for you? Are you still living the life that you said you would live? Are you still following Jesus in your everyday life? Is the life you're living still a life lived for God? For those of you who are baptized, let me just let me just let me just encourage you, okay? Think back to when you stood in that water. I want you to I want you to just have this moment for you, okay? To where you think, okay, this is when I was baptized. Do you remember that? Do you remember when you stood in front of God and everybody and you were so excited and you had so much passion and you were a new believer and there's nothing that anyone could ever say that would make you turn your back on God and you were so passionate, you were so zealous, you were ready to do anything for him and you were on fire with your faith. Do you remember that? That does not have to leave. That never has to leave. That's the first step. God has so much more for you. You don't have to lose the passion that you had when you first believed before the enemy came in to try to beat you up and to tear you down. The Holy Spirit was right there. He's still right here today. You don't have to lose your passion. Baptism is the first step. God has more for you. You can still have that. For those of you who are getting baptized today, for those of you who are making this this step of faith, let me encourage you. Okay, very soon, you're going to feel defeated. Very soon, you're going to be discouraged. Very soon, the enemy is going to come to you and he's going to lie to you. He's going to trick you. And he's going to try to deceive you to make you think that what happened today didn't count. To make you think that, that this wasn't that big of a deal, that it wasn't very special, that it didn't really matter after all, and it didn't even really work, and the enemy's going to come to you, he's going to lie to you, he's going to trick you. You know what we call that? Being a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so what I would tell you, for those of you who are getting baptized today, you need to surround yourself with some of these more mature godly believers. That you don't just live life alone. There's always two people in the tank. You don't get to baptize yourself. You need to surround yourself with other people whether through a community group or in a serve team, whether it's just a mentor, maybe a man, maybe a woman who's going to pour life into you, pray over you. Because you're going to need people to walk alongside you, to, to live in community, to live in this accountability. You're going to need people to help disciple you, to, to grow with you. So that way, whenever the passion of baptism wears off or the, the waters of baptism dry, that the passion never has to. There's a beautiful, there's a beautiful promise that Paul makes in this. It's amazing and it's wonderful and it's great and it's so, it's so powerful that, that Paul would make this promise to you. And I, I want you to hold on to this because I know that many of you in your life, right, you feel so helpless, you feel so hopeless, that you feel bound and you feel victims to your sin. And that, yes, following Jesus, there are going to be dark days. There are going to be difficult days. There are going to be very painful moments. And there will be times when that old self is going to want to rise back up and he's going to want to tell you and tempt you and lead you into the opposite direction. But I have good and wonderful, I got great news for you that you are no longer a slave to sin and that death no longer has dominion over you. And because Jesus, because Jesus died, your sin can be put to death. 
Because Jesus got up and walked away from that grave, you can get up and you can walk away from your sin. Because Jesus died, your sin can be put to death. And this is so important. This might be the most important thing about following Jesus. And it's something that many people overlook and many people forget that yes, there will be pain. Yes, there will be difficulties. Yes, there will be moments of hurts and hardships. But some of you, you feel so bound. You feel so helpless. You feel so hopeless when it comes to your old life and when it comes towards your sin. And so what we tend to do is we think, okay, I gave my life to Jesus and it must not be working. That I became a Christian and, and it's not helping and all these things are still happening and so it must not be working for me. And then we fall into one of two traps. Okay, the first trap is that, that we accept it. That we just accept our sins. And the other trap is that, that we celebrate it. Right? Some people, they just accept their sins. They, they say, okay, well, this is just, I tried and I failed. Right? I gave my life to Jesus. Nothing, I'm still having these same problems because I'm a sinner. Okay, I have sins. Right? I, I will sin. I'm bound to sin. I'm going to sin. I'm just a big fat sinner. And that's all that I'm ever going to do in my life. And nothing's really going to change. I've tried for years. And then eventually you just, you just accept it. You just accept your sin. Okay, others, well, they begin to celebrate it. That's the problem that's happening in Romans 6, verse 1. They say, what, should we continue on sin so that grace may abound? Paul says, by no means. And that's what they did. They thought, well, the more I sin, the more grace I get. And so I'm just going to continue to live life my way because I'm going to celebrate my, my sin. And people come up with all sorts of ridiculous things in order to celebrate in their sin. They'll, they'll say like, oh, well, you know, it's just my life. Well, this is just, this is just who I am. I took a, you know, this is my personality. I, I took a test. I'm ENTJ. I'm J-E-R-K. That's just that's just my personality. And so you need to accept me the way that I am because this is my life. It's 2018 and I can do whatever I want. Who are you to judge me? I know that it's sin, but I'm going to do it. Well, because, you know, it's my life, right? And so then they just celebrate their sin. Paul says, don't accept it. Don't celebrate. He gives us a third option to kill it. He says, he says, put your sin to death. You can accept it. You can celebrate it or you can kill it. And because Jesus died, there is a way for you to put your sin to death. We call it grace. Grace is unwarranted, unmerited favor that comes from God. It's nothing that you could do. It's nothing that you could earn. It's not based on your good works, your good deeds, your good efforts. It's based upon the goodness of the Lord and that he gives grace. And there's one aspect of this grace that's called saving grace that you can come to Jesus just as you are, all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your guilt, all of your failures, all of your faults, all of your flaws, you can come to Jesus just as you are. He will love you, he will accept you, and he will, he will welcome you into his family. But there is another aspect of grace called empowering grace, that Jesus doesn't only save you and leave you, he also changes you. That it's impossible for you to meet Jesus and for you to stay the same. There is this aspect that's saving grace, but there is another aspect of the cross that most people overlook, and that's the empowering grace of God. That's where you get up and you keep following after Jesus. That he doesn't just save you and leave you, he, he changes you. You see, the problem with the Romans is they were stuck at this saving grace. They say, well, Jesus saved me, and so I can continue doing whatever I want. Paul says no. But you say, but this is my life. Paul says, no, you have a new life. 
That who you were is no longer who you are. Because of Jesus, you have been made new. You have been made alive. And this happens through the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. That's why we call it this empowering grace. That the Holy Spirit indwells the life of a believer. And that through his working in your heart, in your life, then you begin to change. That you have this new, new, new desires. Right? Because as you meet Jesus, your old desires, they begin to change. Right? That, that the things that used to give you pleasure and, and, and desires and the things that used to be your passions, all of a sudden, well, they don't satisfy anymore. And, and you recognize, well, I got these new desires. How many of you are new Christians and you're, you're really starting to experience a lot of these new desires? You're like, I want to read my Bible. Right? That's never happened before. Right? And you're like, oh, I want to surround myself with other people. I want to be in community. I want to go to church. I want to pray. I want to listen to worship music. I want to listen to good podcasts. I want to feed my soul. I want to turn from my sin. I want to keep following after Jesus because you have these new desires. That the Holy Spirit, he really does that. Some people it happens very quickly. Some people it happens through a period of a long time. But you'll notice that slowly and surely you have these new desires. And new desires, what that leads to is this leads to this new identity. That you begin to see yourself differently. You begin to see the world differently. And you start to think, okay, I'm no longer lost. I am found. I'm no longer, I'm no longer dead. Okay, now, now I'm alive. Okay, oh, okay. I'm no longer a child of wrath. Okay, now, now I'm a child of God. And when you start to see yourself this way, it begins to change not only the way you see yourself, not only the way that you see the world, but it changes the way that you live. Because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And the Holy Spirit, he gives you these new desires. He gives you this new identity. And what that culminates into is this, this new destiny. That you are no longer a slave to sin. That death no longer has dominion over you. That your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgotten through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You have been raised to a, a new life. You have this newness of life. And death no longer rules you. It doesn't own you. It doesn't master you. It doesn't control you. That you can put your sin to death because Jesus died for your sins. And the same way he got up and walked out of that grave is the same way that we too can walk away from our sins because it no longer holds us through Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. We have been set free. So when it comes to following Jesus in baptism, that means following Jesus with your life, all of it because this is the good news. And so here's what we're going to do today, Redemption. Here's what we're going to do. Okay, we're, we're going to have a funeral, that we're going to put our sin to death, and that we're going to show this newness of life that Jesus gives. And that's a good depiction of what baptism actually is, that it's, that it's a funeral, that we are in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And for some of you, you've been holding on to your past for too long. Some of you, you've been holding on to your shame for too long. Some of you, you've been holding on to your sin too long. It's time for you to put it to death. It's time for you to kill it. It's time for you to have a funeral and move on and keep following after Jesus. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a funeral today for our old selves, and we're going to have a celebration for the new ones. Here's how Paul closes it out. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. So you need to tell your sin, you are dead to me. You need to tell your shame, you are dead to me. You need to tell your guilt, you are dead to me. You need to tell your condemnation, you are 
are dead to me. And today, we're going to have a funeral. We're going to have a funeral for old lives, and we're going to have a celebration for new ones. Today, we're going to have a funeral for addiction. Today, we're going to have a funeral for divorce. Today, we're going to have a funeral for depression. Today, we're going to have a funeral for sexual sin and for pornography. Today, we're going to have a funeral for pride and arrogance and gossip. Today, we're going to have a funeral for bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. Today, we're going to have a funeral for religion and moralism and idolatry. Today, we're going to have a funeral for good deeds and good vibes and good lives lived apart from Jesus because today, Today, we are dead to sin and we're alive to God through Jesus Christ. That through Jesus's, through Jesus's death, our sin has been put to death. And that through Jesus's burial, our sins have been buried. And through Jesus's resurrection, we have been raised to a newness of life and that we are finally alive, always, only, all because of Jesus. Jesus gives us baptism to be the church. And so here's how we're going to close this. This is what we're going to do. Some of you today, you're ready. You, you've been waiting and anticipating. You've gone online. You're signed up. You let the team know. You come. You're prepared. You're ready to take those next steps in following Jesus. And so we are going to celebrate that with you. And in just a moment, we're going to dismiss and we're going to let you go. And you're going to get ready. And you're going to join us down at the baptism tank. But others of you, you came here today and you didn't plan on it. But the Holy Spirit let us know. And you, you weren't anticipating on being baptized because you weren't even a Christian. And today you hear the good news of Jesus. You want to give your life to him. You want to follow him. Your next steps are waiting for you right outside those doors. And so we have everything covered for you. There's no excuses. Now you know. Now you're able. Don't be unwilling. We have shirts. We have shorts. We have, we have towels. We have everything available just for you. And so what we're going to do is we're going to dismiss those who are being baptized. And at Redemption Church, baptism, meant baptism is a big day for us. That, that we don't just we don't just passively observe baptism. Okay, we wanna we wanna make so much noise that the angels in heaven are paying attention. That's what we want to do. And so whenever these people stand up to be baptized, we're gonna cheer. We're, we're gonna we're gonna celebrate them and, and we're gonna dismiss them and everybody's gonna stand up, everybody's gonna cheer at the same time because this is their day. This is a big day for them. Okay, and so here's how we're gonna do it. Okay, I'm gonna dismiss. If you signed up, if you did not sign up, if you are being baptized today, okay, I want you on the count of three to get up and to walk out those doors. Okay, and our team is going to be waiting for you and all the church is going to stand and we're going to celebrate you, okay? So I want you to get ready. Okay, getting ready? Hold on, hold on, not yet. I know you're eager. Okay, we're going to dismiss on, on, on three, okay? Okay, redemption people love to follow instructions. So here we're going to do it. On the count of three, we're going to dismiss. Okay, ready? And everyone's going to cheer. One, two, three. Go be baptized. incredible? God, Jack for Jesus. That's what's up. All right, you guys stand up. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, 
You can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption and we would love to meet you.